Diane Diamond is in this. I don't know if we're speaking or not. I really don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. I know. I'm going with no. We got in a fight on Twitter. We never really recovered from it, girl. You had words. You didn't really get in a fight, necessarily. <laughs> Neither of you liked each other's tone, is what I gather what? from it. <laughs> Julian Pensavali. Hey, Patrick Hines. I was going to say, if you want more Jillian and me, get on the Patreon. A listener tallied up our full number of episodes so we would know. We can officially say there is over 200 full bonus episodes to download and binge right the second. 200? Yeah, that's all content. It's all of the series that we do. So like the ad-free versions of these episodes and the ad-free versions of, you know, like Tiger King, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, all that stuff. Plus all our after parties, plus all our just fun bonus chats, our AMAs, our videos, like everything you can get over 200. We have interviews with like Sky Borgman who directed Abducted in Plain Sight, Keith Maitland who directed Tower, yep. Asia McLean who was Adnan Syed's alibi witness. We, we have interviews with all these people on the Patreon. It is so worth it. And Queen Rabia. And Queen Rabia. You know where to go. Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed or just go to our website click on the Patreon link. Um, Join the Facebook group you guys. We're up to 34,000 members. Come find your true crime best friends. Yeah. They get all your jokes from the podcast. That's, that's fun. It's nice. What's happening with you this week, girl? Anything crazy? Absolutely nothing. Still in quarantine. (laughs) All right, girl. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about who killed the co-ed on ID. May I? I have some words (laughs) ready to talk. Can we stop doing this? Can we stop using co-ed altogether, this outdated, stupid term that makes it sound extra salacious. Yeah. Can we say her name, too? She's not a co-ed. She's, she's a uh-huh. woman. She's this indigenous woman named Faith Hedgepeth. Let's get justice for her, please. Who killed the co-ed? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. We got to stop with the co-ed stuff. Doesn't that sound so, like... Yes. Right? Would they ever call a male a co-ed? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. Whenever I've heard, like, oh, a couple co-eds, they're always talking about women. I think it's so stupid. I demand that we stop doing it. (laughs) Look, petition to end the word co-ed. It's ending right here, girl. I can't be alone in this. I think it's so dumb. (laughs) She was killed just off campus. Hedgepath's roommate found her body in their apartment. It's the heart-rending murder that mystified a college community. It was a brutal slaying. Faith was the sweetest person in the world. I can't believe in it, but I'm still in shock. Now, in this one-hour special report, we'll take you inside the murder investigation of Faith Hedgepeth. The note said, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous? Police have DNA and the murder weapon. There's only one piece missing. Who killed Faith Hedgepeth? In exclusive interviews, Faith's family and friends speak out. I realized I had this voicemail from her. I know, that's Faith's voice in the background. I could hear Faith screaming. And groundbreaking forensic techniques are put to the test. After I had enhanced the audio, a picture was being painted in front of my eyes. They released this sketch of Faith's murderer. If the killer out there is hearing this message, we will catch you. So I've said this last time we've covered whatever series this is on ID and it got cut and I want it to be left in this episode. And here's why. Because this music is basically the theme to succession. And I need to know who orchestrated this because I need to talk about the music to succession with somebody else. Like clearly this person is a fan of that famous opening music of succession and they were just like slyly got it under the radar and no one at ID realized that it's basically like a cool new version of the succession music. I see you. I love it. We got to talk. Listen, if you guys don't know what she's talking about like me, just I kept it in for her because I love her and she asked. That's why. (laughs) That's why it's there. You know, the last time you did this, you know what happened, right? What happened? They came for you about the bells and the xylophone. But all right, let's see. Let's see who wins this round. You're right. So we're jumping in. It's September 7th, 2012. It's Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We're told it's the beginning of the semester at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And this student walks into her apartment, finds her roommate in what we are told is the middle of a bloodbath. Let's just address this right at the top. Yeah, and a 
Garcia, investigative reporter, says that quote. I had it written out, too. And I just have, Jesus, Anna. God. Anna Garcia and Diane Diamond, like, they are both very, very good at this. Like, the way that Diane talks in this episode, it's a dumbed-down version. And she knows it. She's just trying to walk us through the story. But Mm -hmm. they are talking in such an engaged manner. It's almost as though it wasn't scripted, and clearly it was. I was going to say, it's so bizarre, because you could see it on the page as they're saying all this words. Like, a student walks into her apartment and finds her roommate in the middle of a bloodbath. Anna, you didn't just come up with that. Someone handed you a piece of paper. You would never say that. You're talking about an actual dead person, Anna. You, Anna, would never actually say bloodbath. 100%. And she has other things. She gets, like, really riled about the most random shit. Like, Anna, I have notes. No, Diane is a consummate professional. Whether we are still friends or not, the way that she talks is so engaging. Usually what she's saying is ridiculous. Diane, not your fault. I'm not trying to make it worse. She's just so fucking good at it. That's one word for it. <laughs> so the woman on the 911 call, her name is Karina, and she is our victim, yes. Faith's roommate. Yes, and like, we, so we're hearing the 911 call, and we're seeing a reenactment of this murder scene. I just walked into my apartment, and my friend was just like, Cindy, I'm There's blood everywhere. You guys, they spared no expense on the fucking blood. The blood is everywhere. And like this poor actress who is covered in this fake blood, lying face down on this bed. And in this 45 minute episode, they use like eight minutes of like just panning around. Like they are so proud of how bloody they have made this murder scene. Real attention to detail. And I'm like, great. (laughs) Can we put Faith's name in the title next time? Or are you just focusing on the blood of it all? Oh my God, it's why we're all here. We're part of the problem, girl. Sure are. I'm going to call us out every goddamn time. So here's the thing. You hear the actual call. Things slide all over the pillows, like in the comforter. I just don't know what happened. Okay. Is is she breathing? I don't think so. Does she feel warm? No, she feels cold. She feels cold? Okay. Did you not think this was fucking crazy? The dispatcher asks the girl on the phone to touch the dead body and see if she's warm. She's asking this traumatized girl who's just walked into a, quote, bloodbath of her best friend's dead body to go touch her to further traumatize this girl and completely contaminate the murder scene at the same time. Yeah, she asks, does she feel warm? And there's only one way to find out, right? Like, there's only one way. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. And so she's like, no, she feels cold. And she says it in this really heartbreaking way. But I don't know. Like, look, we get a lot of shade from the shade we throw at dispatchers. Like, they throw it right back. And usually, like, yeah. we always say, if you're a dispatcher in a documentary, it didn't go well. So that's not our right. fault. <laughs> I just don't think you should be asking the person who found the body to touch the body. I think you should be saying, get the fuck out of that room. Am I wrong? I don't know. Like, I feel like there must be a, a real reason for why this woman would ask a very distressed college student to do this. But then at the same at the same time the 911 dispatcher also tells Karina to not touch anything and to go in the other room and wait for the police. So which is it? Right. Only touch the body. Just get your hands on the body and then get out of there. Oh my god. Oh my god. Can you imagine you walk into her, you find me brutally murdered in our office. You call 911 and they ask you to touch me to see if I'm warm? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's funny because I hope to never know how I'll react in a situation like this. <laughs> I feel like I would be like, "Bitch, what?" Or you would. Like or you would just go over and do it. Oh, God, I don't, I don't know. Isn't it weird how you immediately become disgusting as soon as you're a dead body? Like, I love you and I want to be around you all the time until you're a dead body and that I don't want to be anywhere near you. All right, well, better stay alive then. Shit. <laughs> so the cops arrive and Diane, oh, Diane, Diane tells us. When police enter the bedroom, they find a, just a scene of carnage. Just a scene of carnage. carnage. There was blood everywhere. <laughs> Diane, oh Lord. I feel like when you're that level, when you're Diane Diamond level, don't you have like the right of first refusal with the script? Can't you say, I'm not fucking saying that. I'm a professional. I'm not saying carnage. I'm not talking shit about my friend Diane. I'm saying I bet it went the other way. I bet that she was handed a script that was like, the room was pretty foul. And she was like, can I say carnage? Yeah, I'm can saying I carnage. Say- you can hear see a big X on it. No, Tom, I'm saying carnage. It's in my contract. Look at it. Page eight. It says I can say carnage as many times as I want in one of these things, okay? I'm saying carnage. Why why do I see carnage only four times in the script? (laughs) 
She does a control F for Carnage every time. <laughs> every time. Or 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 I am walking. I'm not doing it. I'm not get I'm getting out. Pull the car around. I'm not doing it. Get me out of here. I have a cocktail party to go to. Somebody get Beth Karras. So the cops go into the room. They find this young woman. She's naked from the waist down. She's got a t-shirt pulled up over her head. And they say when they pull the t-shirt down, they are, quote, shocked at what they see. And they say she had endured, like, a terrible beating. Both of her eyes were purple. Her hair was, like, matted down to her head with blood. There's a, quote, massive indentation on her forehead. I know. I know. She died of blunt force trauma to the head. Like, this girl went through it right before she died. Totally. And now we learn about her. So her name is Faith Hedgepath. And like we said earlier, she's an indigenous woman. And she loved her heritage. Faith was proud to be a Halwasaponi Indian. She got involved with the tribe, going to powwows, meetings, and things like that. She was very active in so many things. At the same time, she was very academic. She was an amazing student, lots of scholarships, and we meet her family. Her family's here. So we meet Roland, her father, Connie, her mother, and Rolanda, her sister. The thing the mom said really stuck out to me because I was like, I don't know if this was shot during the age of COVID, but the mother goes, We had a very close relationship. She didn't give me any troubles. She was just like a friendly person. She was like, she was a great kid. She didn't give me any trouble. And I went, that's literally all it takes. At this point, we've all been locked inside with our children for a fucking year. All it takes is just be quiet, leave me alone, and our relationship is great. Right. Meanwhile, Faith is like running shit at the tribe and and getting scholarships (laughs) and doing extracurricular stuff. She's like nailing it. And, you know, then, of course, we get the round robin of her friends. Everyone just says, like, she was so nice and she was so fun and she lit up a room. But, like, this time it's really true, you know? Yeah. And so, basically, Faith's mom is at work and she gets a call from her manager who's like, you need to call Chapel Hill, the school. Like, they're looking for you. She calls the school and, like, the lady who answers says, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but Faith is dead. And I was like, there's got to be more nuance to that story that we're not getting, right? Right, because then she doesn't tell her her why or what happened just like just get in the car and drive the two hours to get here this was handled very poorly by the school after finding out that your child is dead then she's like what happened and the woman is like i can't give you any information are you fucking kidding me and then you have to get behind the wheel of a car and drive two hours to find out just worrying and hysterical like no do better that can't be the phone call like that just can't be the phone call and like whose job is that like tell me it was the dean of the school or whatever you know what i mean like was it the nurse who was it it sounds like she just called like one 800 Chapel Hill and some kid answered the phone and told her. Yes. You know what I mean? Because for the fuck up this bad, that's what ha- that's what it had to be. It had to be someone yeah. who was like not equipped for this. No. So the family gets in the car. They drive the two and a half hours to get there. They go straight to her apartment and the apartment is roped off and oh my God. Like I forgot that like it's not until they get there that they know she was murdered. They just right. think she's dead. They don't right. know how she died. Exactly. But the mom is like standing outside of the apartment and she's like I told him if we could just go in and if I could just hold her hand she would know that I was there, that she wasn't alone. If I could just go in and hold her hand, she would know she's not alone. Oh, my God. So the police start to gather evidence, right? They're trying to solve this thing. And they find an empty bottle of rum that's covered in blood. Oh, Lord. They think that's the murder weapon, so they collect DNA. They find semen next to Faith's body. And then this is where Anna comes in because Anna, remember earlier where I was like, she gets ramped up about like the most <laughs> random shit. They find this crumpled up paper bag. And Anna's like, it's like a, it's like a fast food bag, like where you put sandwiches in. Written on a white paper paper bag like the kind from a fast food place. It's like the thing you stuff sandwiches in. But you peasants put like fast food burgers in. Like she's disgusted by the idea of a fast food bag at all. Not the fact that like there was this horrifying note, which we'll get to in a second. She's just like, you put put sandwiches in it. Like Anna. (laughs) All right, Queen Anna. Jesus. But this note says, like, scrawled in this, like, almost illegible handwriting. It said, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. No punctuation. We don't know, like, what order the words are supposed to go in. But it just says, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. And what's interesting is that there's no blood on the bag at all. So it looks like that note was written and placed there after this really, really brutal attack on Faith. But it is really crumpled up and disgusting, as Anna really wants us to know. Blood or <laughs> blood or not, it's absolutely disgustingly vile. Sandwiches were in there, okay? Sandwiches. I could really go for a sandwich right now. I'm starving all the time. So, (laughs) yes. 
But they say that the fact that there was a note leads them to believe that this was not random. This was a personal attack. This was done probably by somebody who knew her, to which I said, then aren't we telling all random killers to just leave a note to throw the police off the trail? Right, and I think there's more to show that it was personal than the note. Yeah. It was such a violent attack. Like, this is a personal attack, you know? So it's not just the note. Yeah, and so, oh, oh, and then some talking head says, The first thing that jumps out is it's very, very large writing. It's almost like yelling. It's almost like yelling. <laughs> you mean you mean Bart, the forensic handwriting expert? Yeah, that stuck out to me too. I was like, Bart is that guy on the message boards who's like, no, all caps means yelling. No, no all caps allowed. Strike two, Daryl, for the all caps. Not again, okay? You're yelling at me, Bart. Let's just talk about Karina, the roommate who discovered Faith's body. She's the one who called 911. Right. And it turns out that not only was Karina really close with Faith, she was also really close to Faith's parents who are here with us. Yeah. You know, the dad is saying that they were like sisters and, you know, Karina was kind of the reserved one. Faith was really bubbly. Like, that's why they matched. So with Karina's cooperation, the police put together a timeline of the night of the murder. And Uh this timeline is bananas. Yeah, mostly because of how everyone describes the events, but let's just go through it. (laughs) Well, we find out that early in the night, they start by going to some off-campus sorority party. Karina told the police department that Faith attended a sorority event at a local apartment complex just off campus. She left around 7 to go to the library to do some work on a paper with Karina. Who goes to a party and then leaves the party to go to the library for three hours to do homework? And then I made the note, well, maybe not everybody goes to a party and just like immediately has to get hammered in 10 minutes. That's very true. I also heard it as an event. Maybe it was like an Uh afternoon of, I wasn't in a sorority. I know nothing about Greek life, so I don't know. But maybe it was just like a thing they had to do and not necessarily. Are you saying there wouldn't be cocktails? I don't, I didn't do that. I just had my own cocktails on my own time. Because then why would you go? You know what I mean? Like, I, why, I like, why would you, why would you go? And and if it was outside, I get the sense it was outside. <laughs> it's North Carolina. Everything's Ooh. outside. Ooh. I know. So they go to the library. They do homework for a bunch of hours and they leave the library on campus at, uh, at 1130 and they go back to their apartment. They're not home two minutes before they're like, you know what? Fuck this. Let's go clubbing. Yeah. Well, they're actually home for an hour and a half because they leave okay. at 1 a.m. <laughs> Karina tells police. They decided to go out to a nightclub downtown called The Thrill. She says they got to the nightclub about one o'clock. Oh my God, that's where I was like, this is my definition of hell at one in the morning. This is when they decide to go to a nightclub? Are you kidding me? Was there ever a time in your life where that was you, where you would go to where you either just maybe like party hop or go out late? Yes, like I wasn't always like a 42-year-old dad. Sure. There was a time when I was in college where like I did go, like I went out all through my 20s. I was fun, but I'm just thinking of it now. Like just the idea, like you've been out all day and now it's one in the morning and you're going back out to like a super loud club where you know they're playing fucking terrible music. Yeah, it's called The Thrill. And I'm sure it's not thrilling at all. It's like that thing where you have to advertise it. Don't just keep saying it. Like, just do it. Just be it. Don't keep saying, I'm the best at everything. Just, like, be it. So when something is called the thrill, it's like, you're trying too hard, thrill. You're trying too hard. Uh, Well, they get there at one in the morning. They drink. They run into friends. And then they decide to leave because Karina, who I'm assuming is hammered at this point, isn't feeling well. Right. So they leave at 2 a.m. They were only there for an hour. This club outing didn't last very long. And the thing is, there's camera footage confirming this timeline of when they got to the yeah. to the bar, how long they were there. And there's we see them leaving. It's haunting. I love a surveillance video, especially one where you can actually like see the people we're talking about. I was going to say, when it works, it's great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when it's not just like a blurry blob. Right. Like it's always from across the street behind a car. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So they oh get God. home and now we're getting like the story from mm-hmm. Faith's father. Like Karina is essentially in the bathroom puking and Faith is holding her hair back. Yeah. And Faith's dad says. Karina says that they went home and um, after they got home that Karina herself got very sick and was throwing up. Faith had gotten a trash can for her to throw up in. And then Faith went to bed. Well, Faith got a trash can. I thought he said Faith got trash canned. I I thought he meant Faith like was like helping her friend puke in the bathroom and then like pounding shots in the in the living room getting trash cans. Yeah, I don't think Karina, even if true, I don't think Karina would tell Faith's dad that version of the story. (laughs) Totally. And just, 
I was like, did Faye's dad invent an expression? You guys, let's get trash canned. You know what? It's been a long week. Let's get trash canned. That means that you get like the bad kind of drunk where you're like, I'm going to get drunk and just be a nightmare. Like that's what getting trash canned is. We're like, I'm going to ruin everyone's night and I'm going to ruin my maybe next two days. That's how yes. hammered I'm going to get. Totally. Uh, that's essentially what happened to Karina. Karina got trash canned. That's the worst kind of drunk. I'm sorry. The worst kind of drunk. Never aspire to be that. I remember like in my 20s being that drunk and realizing it at like 11 o'clock at night and being like, oh, this already sucks. Oh, this no. already sucks. But then you just keep going. That was the, that yeah. was that one time you stayed out till like four. Because <laughs> then you get through it. You push through the trash can and all of a sudden you're at a diner at four in the morning ordering eggs and toast and extra omelets and a shake and, and then like a stack of pancakes for the table. A shake after all that <laughs> So... She didn't get trash canned. Faith's dad was actually saying she got a trash can and put it next to Karina in the bathroom and then, like, goes to bed. Faith goes to bed and Karina says she doesn't want to go to sleep. She wants to talk. Remember, Karina's, like, the quiet one. No, Karina stays in the bathroom to drunk dial people. She's feeling a little chatty. She, You know, she threw it up. She got it out of her system. She's feeling a little yes. better. And she's so, like, it's only yeah. 2 a.m.? Like, let's go. <laughs> Who's up? Oh What's going God. on? Who's ready to party? That's Karina sitting on the bathroom floor with like dried up vomit in her hair, <laughs> thinking oh she's ready to go. God. That also sounds familiar for my 20s. So Karina <laughs> calls a friend from the soccer team and asks him to pick her up. And reporter Anna is just like, When Karina is feeling better, she texts a soccer player friend ask him to come pick her up. I think the easiest way to describe what was going on was this was a booty call. Very typical of the life of a college student. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a booty call. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, welcome to college. Fine. Okay. We're not shaming that. Like, do what you got to do, Karina. Everyone can sense and you're like sober enough. Come on. Let's not right, get yourself exactly. taken advantage of here. Let's be smart about this. So the soccer player comes and picks her up at 425 in the morning. You guys, this evening started at like four o'clock at the sorority party off campus. It is now 12 and a half hours later and she's going out with a soccer player. With three and a half hours of studying at the library in between. I know. I know. I don't get it. But we learned that when she leaves, she doesn't lock the door because between she and Faith, they only have one key. And the dad says, like, she also didn't wake up Faith to tell her that she was leaving. So the police say... Based on Karina's timeline, police conclude that the perpetrator entered that apartment sometime after she left, sometime after 4.30 in the morning. So the next morning, finally, Karina has, like, slept it off. It's 10 a.m., and she's trying to call Faith, and she can't reach her. She never came oh, home, oh. so she's with the guy from the soccer team. Also, Karina is calling Faith because Karina has class at 1 o'clock where she has to turn in a paper. She doesn't want to go. She wants Faith to turn the paper in for her. And I just said, I know we have bigger fish to fry, but at some point, are we going to talk about Karina's studying habits? Karina, you made a lot of decisions. Deal with them. Get your ass out of bed and get the paper or eat. Email it. It's 2010. So, you know, Faith isn't answering the phone. So Karina calls another friend to pick her up. They go back to Faith and Karina's apartment. You know, when they get there, they see that Faith's car is in the parking lot. They think that Faith just overslept. They walk in and they find her, quote, in a bloodbath. And that's when the 911 call happens. And so now we've been with this friend throughout, Faith's friend, Yuna. They're really, really tight. And I love Yuna. Yeah, Yuna's great. You know, she hears this horrible news about her dear friend, Faith, and she realizes it hits her. I realized I had this voicemail from her in the middle of the night, but it sounded just like music playing in the background and staticky, like fabric rubbing up against the phone like a pocket dial. She was uh, known to be a pocket dialer, so I deleted the voicemail. You know, listens to it, and it's just like, it sounds like a club. So she just deletes it because apparently this is something that happens from Faith's phone often. We'll get back to, like, Inspector Gadget Yuna and how she solves this. But, like, she literally says Faith was a known pocket dialer. <laughs> you, oh, good old Faith. A known pocket dialer. <laughs> well, I guess I'm thinking 2010, those phones, like, it was pretty easy to pocket dial back then, wasn't it? But then wouldn't everyone be a known pocket dialer? I know. Wouldn't that just be all of us at the time? I know. And it cuts to, like, a reenactment in a club where like the actress playing Faith you can see the phone ringing in her literal butt pocket yeah yeah <laughs> I see you ID thank you I know so Yuna 
panics because she erased it. So she's like, oh my God, this can be really, really valuable. What do I do? She calls the phone company. I didn't know what to do. So I called my cell phone provider and thankfully they were able to talk me through getting the voicemail back on my phone. She gets the voicemail back and then gives the audio to the cops. Yuna! You guys, let the fucking women do the work. Like, are you kidding me? Like, no man alive could have accomplished that, you know? No, but I love that where it's like, okay, well, why don't I just call them? Like, there's got to be a way to get it back. And she was absolutely right. And there was. And she also tells that story as though she doesn't deserve a fucking Nobel Prize. Yes. You know what I mean? I know I'm saying the same thing we've been saying four times in a row. I still can't believe it. Right. I mean, it deserves to be repeated. It's that important. Yuna? hero. Do we make a day for her? Like, do we make a day? Yeah. Let, let's do a month. Let's do a month. <laughs> what, what? May, I guess? Well, what, yeah, whatever, whatever this comes out. April, April, happy April. Sure. Happy Yuna month. That's for you, girl. <laughs> Take it with our compliments. April is now yours. <laughs> So the police listen to the voicemail, and after all of Yuna's hard work, they're like, yeah, it's really nothing, you guys. Like, it really just is a butt dial. It's really loud. It sounds like a nightclub. Mm -hmm. They don't really get anything out of it. Stick a pin in this, because ID oxygens us later, so we're coming back to this. Oh, God. But the cops, the cops are like, speaking of cell phones, why don't we go ahead and get a warrant for Faith's cell phone records? And they realize Diane wants to let us know. Investigators discover a promising lead. After Karina and Faith went home, Faith did not go right to sleep. She was text messaging with two different guys. I don't like your tone, Diane Diamond. Let me just say that. First and foremost. But I also don't like the tone of the voiceover guy because he's like, you know, when they come back from commercial or whatever, it's like, so, you know, when we last left Faith, she was texting two men. And I'm like, hold, we're stopping this right fucking now. We're getting off this train. Stop doing that. Why can't it be students? or college kids or friends you have to make it seem like she's so like stop slut shaming her she was here with two men like what are you talking about but also when we find out who one of the men was that she was texting it was a friend of Karina's like she was texting a friend of Karina's Mm -hmm. trying to get him to come over and take care of her so like that whole she was texting two men thing really was going into a commercial it was a fake slut shame because she wasn't doing it for her right but then they never say actually they were all friends they never say that they just leave it hanging with she was texting two men. And let me tell you, if it was reversed, they'd say he was texting two girls. So fuck off, everybody. Totally. <laughs> so we learned that the one of the guys that Faith was texting, this guy, Brandon Edwards, he and Karina, we are told... He is also having a casual sexual affair with Karina. And Faith texted him to say, like, girl, Karina is, like, trash canned... <laughs> Guys, I'm sticking with it. I, it's not going anywhere. We're leaning right into it. Let's go. Let's. We're, it's, we're here. What, are we, what else are we going to do? <laughs> She's trash cans in the bathroom. She really needs you. Like, do you want to come over and take care of her? And Brandon texts back, who's this? Who's this? And I'm like, wait, so were they friends or weren't they friends? Who knows? You know what I mean? It's like you probably have a friend that I think I'm friends with that if I texted them, they don't have my number in their phone, you know? It's happened with us before, actually. You've put me on group text and I'm like, who's this number? And you're like, oh. Yeah, it's Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, exactly. It's Chrissy Teigen, obviously. (laughs) So Brandon admits... Okay, yeah, I crashed on their couch the night before the murder, and yes, I was there at the nightclub with them. You know, he's super forthcoming. He's like, I know that, like, obviously this looks suspicious. Take all my fucking DNA, search my car. Like, I didn't do this. And they do. They search his car. They come up with nothing. They take his DNA, and it's not a match. Yeah, so Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. You're free to go. That's the series wrap on Brandon, everybody. He didn't do it. He's good to go. You were here for the slut shaming. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you. And thank you for proving that that wasn't the case, Brandon with just your existence. I mean, you're not here to tell us, but thank you so much for your time. We'll see you later, Brandon. Thank you. We'll see you at the wrap party, Brandon. Thank you. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just go out the same way you came in. It's right there. Very easy. Thank you. (laughs) Next up... Next up, Ty McNeil. This guy, Ty McNeil, is the last guy that Faith sent a text to the night she died, 3.43 a.m. This guy sounds like a fucking asshole. He and Faith had been together for a long time. They weren't together anymore. But we are told that, like, there were times that I heard about Ty being somewhat jealous and possessive. If she, like, fell asleep or something and wasn't responding to his text messages, 
He would just show up at the residence hall to see where she was or what she was doing. He is really creepy, really possessive, really aggressive, and the cops waste no time at all looking into him. So they call him right in. And this yeah. guy, Ty, runs into Faith's parents at the police station. And he has this whole story for Faith's parents. He's saying, you know, Faith was constantly texting me the night before, telling me how much she cared about me. She was still in love with me. She wants to get back together with me. This is so inappropriate. So inappropriate. And like through the reenactment, we're meant like the parents are hugging him and kissing him on the cheek. Like, I don't know if that was just like an overdoing by the director or if they were actually really close with this guy or not. Yeah. And so Ty's being questioned and he says he didn't do it. And guess what? The DNA doesn't match. So he's a piece of shit for being aggressive and just showing up when Faith doesn't answer his texts in five seconds. But apparently he's not a murderer. Yeah. Not yet. As far as we know. Yeah. But that seriously, that is like you're getting there. Don't do that shit. Just let people have lives. Stop being scary to women. Just stop it. So the police again are going back to Faith's inner circle and they're going back to Karina, right? And they find out that Karina had recently filed a restraining order against a guy named Eric Tacoy Jones. So Karina and this guy, Eric Tacoy Jones, had been together. They broke up a few months before the murder. And then we get this insane story about like how this guy, Eric, responded to the breakup. Eric Tacoy Jones breaks into their apartment looking for Karina. The front door was kicked open, bedroom door was kicked open. He had taken Karina's phone from her and pushed her on the floor. And then we get from her friends, you know, he was mistreating Karina in ways that were unfathomable. Eric then blamed Faith for all of the problems in their relationship. And Faith was telling people that he was threatening to kill her and Karina if Karina didn't get back with him. Everyone pull over and play this as loud as possible. This is why women are scared to reject men because they will come and kill us. So don't act like, what, just say no. Oh, what's the harm? The harm is that you you still change your locks and the guy kicks the door down and that he threatens you and your friends. This is why women are scared to reject men. So we learned the reason this guy, Eric, hates Faith is because Faith was the one Mm -hmm. that convinced Karina to make this restraining order. So like this guy, Eric, sees Faith as the thing that's standing in between them getting back together and not his fucking rage problems. Right, but society hates women so much that even though there's a restraining order, he lives two doors down from them in the same complex. He still lives in their apartment building. So what the hell? So, and also, like, on that front, he lives in the apartment building, so he is the first, like, spectator on the scene the morning of the murder. Like, all of this is very fucking suspicious to me. There's all these reporters and all these police cars outside the apartment. He lives in the building. He's walking by, sees, like, sees the commotion, finds out what happens, and he turns to the gathered press pool, basically. And he's saying, I mean, Faith was the sweetest person in the world. I can't believe in it, but I'm still in shock. It's, it's unreal. I'll be honest with you, like, whoever did this deserves to burn. Faith was amazing. She was beautiful. Anybody who does this deserves to burn. And this doesn't make sense to everybody because everybody who knows him, according to Diane Diamond, knows that he fucking hates Faith. And they hated each other and everybody knew it. Yeah. There was no love lost between them. So for him to act, also act like he had no idea what happened, he was just, it was very, very bizarre. He just inserts himself right into the situation. And there's more. And before we get to it, I just want to say, like, maybe people won't think that you murdered that girl if you stop behaving like the kind of fucking guy that would murder that girl yeah do you know what i mean absolutely and i like and i am telling you what to do i am telling you that you're not allowed to go to your ex-girlfriend's house and kick the fucking door in and like we didn't even talk about this pull the cell phone out of her hand and throw her on the ground yes like you you can't do any of that and if someone wants to say well yes i can no i'm not even gonna let you finish the sentence (laughs) let alone do it but also like maybe you wouldn't be looked at for murder if you didn't do shit like that is all i'm saying or shit like this the police get access to his digital records Uh, which by that they mean his facebook account (laughs) the day before the murder, he made a post, like an actual public Facebook post that reads, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. He sounds like an incel, right? Doesn't that totally. give you incel vibes? Yes. If you guys don't know what that is, Google it. It's that whole involuntary celibate, like women are the reason these guys aren't getting laid. And so they want to do violence against women. It is bananas. It's terrifying. And you'll probably get on like an FBI list for even Googling it. Like that's how right. like <laughs> horribly violent it is. But that's the whole thing. Like the girls who don't deserve me and who wish me dead today. Like it's yeah. never Eric, right? It's never Eric's fault. Right. Everything yeah. bad is just happening to him. So whatever. So the cops, in they investigate this guy thoroughly. The cops are doing a good 
good job here. They get his DNA, they search his car, they take some of his clothes and some of his papers from his apartment, but they don't find anything linking him to the murder. He's not a DNA match. And so he's never arrested, charged, or named a suspect. Could you get this fucking asshole into some anger management, though? Could we do that? Yeah, like, didn't he break the restraining order by trying to kick the door in? Or, like, can he maybe not live next to this woman? I just, I don't, like, something's got to be done with Eric. <laughs> we need a solution. You know, and, the, and like if we if we can like take the emotion out of it for a second too, like the fact that the DNA doesn't match and the DNA exists is a really good thing because we should say all three of the men that they've looked mm-hmm. at so far are men of color. And so if they are desperately trying to solve this case and like DNA wasn't a thing, one of these guys would have gone to jail for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So years pass and the press dies down, but we are told the police are still investigating. Yeah, and then the cops release reams and reams of documents. We help point people to the things we thought were most important and identify the areas where we needed help. They are basically asking for, like, web sleuths to come in and help them solve this murder, which I kind of appreciate. Yeah, but web sleuths problematic. They can be real bad. Well, of the people who take them up on this offer, we meet private investigators. Yeah. Are they real? We don't know. But they are not credited as web sleuths. So, you know, at least ID doesn't take them that seriously. But... They say that of all the things released to the public that apparently were the most interesting to the public, it was the 911 call. Remember the 911 call? I do. And so now we get reporter Anna, Diane Diamond, all of our quote experts. Now we are going to analyze the ever-loving shit out of this 911 call. Because they're saying, like, is it possible that Karina was involved in this? And, like, the big point everyone is making here is that when you hear, when you listen back to the 911 call, now remember, Karina had been completely trash-canned the night before. So she's probably not feeling great but she walks into her apartment and finds her roommate's dead body like in a quote bloodbath as everyone has said a million times right so like when you hear what she's actually saying to the dispatcher she's referring to her as unconscious she's saying she's unconscious she's unconscious and everyone is saying i think it's really weird that karina chooses the word unconscious to describe faith why was she even saying she was just unconscious with all the blood that she saw Why would you say it like that? She's clearly been murdered. Why would you just say she's unconscious? Yeah, and she also repeats, according to them, I just walked into my apartment. And these experts are saying, like, she says it so often that it sounds like maybe she's trying to prove that she wasn't there Uh at the time of the murder, saying, well, I don't know, I just got here. Some thought that Karina might be offering up a theory as to what happened to Faith to steer suspicion away from her. Was she trying to make it absolutely clear that it wasn't her why else would you say someone's been in here duh someone else must have been here and anna's like yeah duh karina that you're not getting that one by me anna is over it Anna's been over it since the fast food bag, so she really has no time for Karina's shit right now. But, you know, they're looking at Karina as a suspect, and, like, at this point, we start getting reactions from the family, like the sister, Rolanda, the dad. All of a sudden, everyone is like, we used to be super close with Karina. We super think she's involved in this. And another big thing is that Karina never says Faith's name, ever. Yeah. Now, again, I'm going to say, having been trash-canned a fair amount of times in my 20s myself, and, like, she obviously did not get a good night's sleep. She was out with that soccer player until, like, you know, 10 in the morning or whatever. Maybe she's just like exhausted and in shock and things are just coming at her in waves and she doesn't know what to do. Like, you know, they don't ever find anything that links her to this crime scene at all. So like she is put under this like really intense media scrutiny and scrutiny by everybody at the college. And she's also not in this documentary. We never, I I was like waiting for her, like the interview from jail or something because like she, we never meet her, but she's not here. She's not here at all. And we go through a lot of these like potential situations that really don't make a lot of sense. Like, now they're saying, well, maybe Karina and Eric Jones, the garbage guy that Karina had the restraining order against, maybe they did this together. And I'm like, what? And, you know, they're saying, like, like Anna, the talking head, is saying that, like, you know, when we look at that note again... That note leads you to believe that there was some kind of a dispute, most likely over a love interest, because why else would you be jealous? And that term... That's the kind of thing one woman says to another. You jealous? Not often does a guy say that. This is the way that women speak to each other. Like, the, like only a woman would say that to another woman. Like, the note is definitely very weird. So, I don't know. I don't think that Karina and the dirtbag ex-boyfriend got together and killed Faith for no, no. reason. So no. and 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 you know Yuna, her friend Yuna that we love, April, April her month is coming up. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yuna says, well, I got to tell you, like, Faith and Karina weren't that close anymore. There was actually a lot of right. tension between them. I do know that Faith and Karina living together was not working out for Faith because she did ask to move in with me the week that she passed away. She just seemed tired and stressed and worried. I always wonder what was she going through that was making her so upset and need to leave her living situation with Karina. I mean, I kind of feel like that night at the club was not the first night that Karina got trash canned and Faith had to take care of her. Like, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Karina seems like she's maybe not as mature as Faith and Faith is kind of over it. Like, Faith is like so tired of taking care of her in the bathroom that she has to call their mutual friend to come and see if he can come and take care of her for a little while. It seems like this could be a not unusual occurrence in their house. Karina used to be a lady paid at the five, but we're really hurting her feelings, girl. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying that one key thing is now sticking with me because imagine uh -huh. how annoying that is. Like you're trying to get a good night's sleep. You, you're actually going to go to class and hand in your paper and then totally. at four o'clock in the morning there's like pounding on the door because Karina doesn't have a key. Like that would really wear on you. Come on. You wanted to say because Karina's trash canned again. I know you wanted to say it. Because Karina was trash canned. She was Choke dash cat. <laughs> there, I said it. Now you have the audio forever. <laughs> Trash can, you guys. Put it on a t-shirt. It's not going anywhere. Let's do it. But uh, see, now all of Karina's friends are coming to her defense because they're they're yeah. saying, you know, look. Everything that happened kind of broke Karina. To lose someone that's like your family, that hurts really deep. And I watched her hurt for months and months and months. And she would read what everyone was saying about her, and that kind of made it worse. She's really been nothing but cooperative. She has never technically been a suspect, so shut up, Diane Diamond and Anna. Like, <laughs> shut up. So now it's six years since the murder, and now we get super oxygen, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so remember the voicemail that Yuna found, right? That she found? She called yeah. the phone company, and they, like, retrieved this deleted voicemail because Faith was, like, a known pocket dialer. She spent, like, a day working on it, and the cops were like, yeah, it's, we don't need this. <laughs> There's nothing to this. <laughs> right, because it was just, like, it just sounded like she was at a loud bar. Like, there was really nothing yeah. to Decipherable. So then, if it sounds like nothing, let's get the audio expert in here. Why not? <laughs> so we meet Arlo West. The voicemail was really distorted. Very staticky. It's just harsh, hard to hear. But after I had enhanced the audio, the picture was being painted in front of my eyes. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I immediately thought that we had some evidence here that would help solve this case. Clear as day. I hear one man... <laughs> Two women, uh, I hear a female in distress, and instantly I know it's Faith. And I'm like, what are you here? All I'm hearing is like the distressed audio and then that underwater sound that yes. happens every yes. time we try to, quote, enhance this audio. It just sounds like it's underwater. Like, you hear the audio and they always subtitle it. They always tell you what you should be hearing. So, like, you hear it, right? And, like, yeah, like already, it's, it maybe could sound enough like something. And then your ear, we've talked about this before, where it's like your ear is kind of listening for something that makes a little bit yes. of sense. And then when your eyes see it on the screen and you read it, your inner monologue says it. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. So now, because on the screen, we hear, help me, get off me, fuck you, yeah. I'm pissed, I'm going to kick your face, bitch, you're a liar, put up a fight. I hear yeah. none of it. Like, if you right. weren't looking at the subtitles or whatever, you would hear just garbled underwater nonsense. But when the words are on the screen, it tricks your brain into thinking that that's what you're hearing. And it's also snippets. It's never, give me two solid sentences. Right. Give right. me, like, anything of one person talking for longer than one and a half seconds, you right. know? Right, right. Give me, like, me saying, hi, Jillian, so good to see you, can't wait till we can do this in person again, you know? Right. So he's super proud of his work. He thinks he's solved it. He's, he feels like he now has evidence that it's Karina and her ex-dirtbag boyfriend, Eric, the guy who kicked in all the doors, right. doing this together for some unknown reason. So he brings it to the police and he fully expects the police to like write up arrest warrants and go out and get them. And the cops are like, this is garbage. There's nothing to this. Yeah. And the thing is, he brings this to Faith's family and they want justice, of course. So they believe this audio expert. So Faith's family is really hanging on this and they want the yeah. cops to believe it too. And the thing is, this voicemail came in at 1.23, right? 1.23 a.m. Yeah. Right. So they didn't leave the club until 2 a.m. So this audio expert has told the family, this is audio of Faith being murdered. This is what the audio is. This is what yeah. I hear. But the time doesn't match up because at 1.23, they were in the club and we have the footage of it. Exactly. And so now he goes on this whole mm -hmm. thing where he, quote, does research. I found that with the uh, particular 
the brand of phones that Faith and Yoon had, both of them had issues with timestamping. The towers transmitting the cell phone signals were glitchy at the best. I believe to a high degree of forensic audio certainty that that timestamp is incorrect. I mean, this is like straight out of like in the weeds serial episodes. Yes, totally. And there's no evidence of it. It's just his guess. And he and the family are now taking this as gospel that the cell phone towers were messed up and this voicemail was left in the middle of the murder that happened an hour later. Yeah, and it's wrong because it's wrong like factually it's wrong but it's really wrong and fucked up to do this to Faith's family because they see this as a lead and he's stringing them along and they think that maybe justice can be served and it can't be because of this because it doesn't make any sense and that is so just morally reprehensible to do to this family yes a million bajillion percent and so like the last gasp of all of this is that the cops like they have that DNA profile of the killer that they found at the scene and so they reach out to a lab that does something called phenotyping, which I want this to be real science. I don't know if this is real science or not, but I want it to be real. What is really impressive is that you are projecting characteristics that the person likely has, such as skin color, eye color, hair color. It is, in effect, a scientifically produced mugshot. But so they say this, but like in the same breath, they're like, what? we don't really know like uh-huh. it's in the real early stages of us being able to do this so we're not really sure like they can't point to one example of somebody actually being caught this way right but in that very same breath they're like let's go through the results anyway even though we can't trust it it's brand new science this is id god damn it we're taking our oxygen notes let's do it let's go through these results science be damned let's go phenotyping of the dna found that the subject who left it was olive skin with dark hair eyes that were either hazel or brown and a person of latino descent they look at all the men that they've looked at so far they're all black men you know they're not they're not latino and we know their dna doesn't match anyway but Mm -hmm. they show us an image of what this guy would have looked like and i'm like yeah this seems like a real quick way to put the wrong guy away you know what i mean it sure does like i think it's very very dangerous but I, i mean what the hell do i know the only saving grace is that this like digital mugshot is being made from an actual dna profile so if somebody gets turned in that they think it might be that person i guess they just get the DNA and they can prove that it's not that person? Yeah, I just wonder, can't they just list characteristics and not just make a photo that looks like that guy from down the street? You know what I mean? Like, can't they just list things instead of just making a picture that, it's exactly like the audio expert putting the words on the screen and saying, well, that kind of sounds like it. Now I see the words. And it always looks like, these, these images always end up looking like some generic hot guy from the gym. That's what they always end up looking like. Girl, focus. Focus. I was like, oh, I hope he's not the killer. He's cute. Anyway, it's all these years later. They still have no suspects, you know, and it kind of just ends with, like, the dad and the family saying, like, I believe Karina knows what happened to Faith. I'm not not saying that Karina did this to Faith. I'm just saying I believe Karina knows what happened to Faith. You know, she's not maybe not responsible, but she knows a little more. And again, it's really important to note that Karina's not interviewed for this, which could be for many reasons. Let's just for state sure. for the record. Oh it God. could be because she doesn't want to be dragged through the mud again, that she's been yeah. through it, that she's grieving in her own way. We're not like putting Karina on the spot for it, but those are the facts. She's not here. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I got to say, though, I got so worked up. I'm still a little bit hungry. And Anna, <laughs> yeah. don't judge my dinner if I end up getting a sandwich, okay? I don't want to hear it out of you, Anna. Enough. <laughs> We did Who Killed the... I'm not going to say the word because I know it makes you so angry. Yeah, how about we say, let's find justice for Faith Hedgepath. Can we call it that? Totally. <laughs> you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, find us on the Patreon. Over 200 full bonus episodes to download a binge right the second. Everything from I'll Be Gone in the Dark to uh, Night Stalker. We're just getting into Heaven's Gate. Oh, we did The Vow, Tiger King, The Jinx, The Staircase, Lorena, all that good stuff. You can also get ad-free versions of these episodes. We can do ringtones and after parties and you know it's so much stuff come hang out with us yeah we send you videos sometimes we're giving you advice for better or worse it's fun it's a whole party (laughs) also join the facebook group you guys 
come find your true crime best friends. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group. And the last thing, follow us on Instagram, True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Every Tuesday, we go live at noon. For half an hour, we call it Ladies Who Lunch. Sometimes Chrissy Teigen shows up. Yeah, she showed up that one time. Maybe she'll show up again. Who knows? It was unplanned. We had no idea. She was just like in the comments. So you never know what's going to happen on Ladies Who Lunch. You never know what's going to happen. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Kemper on Kemper. I don't know anything about this case. Do you know this case? I got to tell you, they also called him the co-ed killer. So not thrilled. (laughs) Kemper is absolutely terrifying. He was in Mindhunter. He's like the guy that John Douglas, like he started criminal profiling. He like is that serial killer who just talks and talks and talks. He's like gigantic and terrifying. He's like actually, he's like six nine. So when I say gigantic, he's like, yeah, yeah. Um, He's absolutely terrifying. And I'm going to go on my co-ed rant again. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, all right, we love you, you guys. So stay tuned for the trailer for Kemper on Kemper, our ridiculous and hilarious outtakes. TM, TM, TM. Um, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you so soon. We love you. We'll see you Tuesday, definitely. Totally. <laughs> all right, bye. Bye. Just a week ago today, four more bodies were discovered in a connected series of murders that now numbers at least 10. I put one girl in the trunk and one in the back seat and stabbed both to death. Later that night, I cut both of their heads off. He went for someone who he knew was weak and vulnerable. Co-eds, college students. He eviscerates them, decapitates them, sex with the body parts. By 10, 12 years of age, he was getting abused from his mother. You're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. We're still fighting. She's still belittling me. I'm like a puppet on a string. If mom wasn't there, he wouldn't have been a serial killer. He killed his mother. He wanted to just humiliate and defile the corpse uh, any way he could, and he did. Here's a guy uh, killing co-eds. He's a necrophiliac, but he did to his mother. How is he different from us? What's going through his mind? To understand the artist, you must look at the artwork. Kemper is going to be the first one to help the FBI know what makes these guys tick. talking about this show succession like it's the golden girls like it's ubiquitous somebody's husband from across the room just went what is the golden girls what is the <laughs> john legend is like what what is he talking about john please okay john's like can everyone be quiet i'm trying to watch succession <laughs> <laughs> that's john yeah jonathan if you want to hang out with us you got to know about the golden girls okay john bart the handwriting expert before who was like he wrote very loudly all caps it's like he was yelling <laughs> he was running at the top of his lungs <laughs> running at the top he's writing at the top of his lungs <laughs> <laughs> That's a way better joke. That's so much funnier. Because I got a text from my dad and it was a long text and it didn't feel like my dad. I was like, something is up with like too many spaces or not enough spaces or something was weird. He was using his voice dictation and it spelled oh my, my name wrong. And it, yeah. spelled, it spelled my name wrong. And I was so creeped out. I was like, oh my God, yeah. what's going on? And then I called home and my mom was like, are you using that? He's he's using that voice to text thing. It never Atelio. works. Yeah, Atelio. I tell him not to do it. She just had a heart attack. She was at work. I was behind the bar. I like left the bar. I was like, something's wrong with my dad. He just had a stroke. Like he's texting me all this weird shit. He spelled my name wrong. It was the voice to text thing. Voice text will fuck you every time. Don't fuck me on this voice text. Fuck me on this. And they did. <laughs> they do. I mean, ducking. Who is really writing ducking? Do you know what I mean? And you know what? I'm not in a can. I'm in a cab <laughs> while we're here. And then you'd go home and you're like, my stomach is so full. All I want to do is sleep, but I have a food baby. Like, what a bad idea. What a terrible idea. Like, bye-bye Sunday. Like, your Sunday, like, what? Nope, just gone. Quarantine has given me food quintuplets. Prepare ye, 2021. Patrick's having more kids. You're gorgeous. Gorgeous. 